Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to 20 Questions on Deadline. I'm Antonia Blythe, Senior Awards Editor. My guest this week is Melissa Barrera. From her breakout role in Vida, the musical In the Heights, this year's installment of the Scream franchise, and Netflix series Keep Breathing, in which Barrera plays the sole survivor of a plane crash in the wilderness, she has shot to major fame in the past few years. Lined up next, she has not only the much-anticipated film Carmen, but also another new Scream movie, the sixth in the series. She's also set to star in the collaboration, which looks at the friendship between artists Jean-Michel Basquiat and Andy Warhol. Welcome to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you. It's lovely to see you. (laughs) So I, first of all, have to tell you, I was talking with our social media manager this morning, who's a good friend of mine too, and he just said, I have questions for Melissa. Really? (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. Yeah, he's very excited that I'm talking to you, um, as am I. And he said, um, okay, Scream 6, first of all. Mm -hmm. Um, There's uh, so much to talk about. You have so many things going on. But let me just fire off some thoughts uh, I promised to ask you. Um, Okay, so you're coming back as Sam again with Jenna Ortega as Tara. And this time the action's in New York City. So I think it's going to be super different. I love this idea. Really excited about it. Um, are we talking like a lot later? Uh, you know, is this like a big time hop? No, it's not at all. It's like almost, oh. almost directly after the last one. Basically, the amount of time that has passed between one movie and the other is the amount of time that has passed in, you know, in screen time. Okay. All right. That's that's interesting. So obviously either the girls have gone off to college together or they just were like, let's get the hell out of Dodge <laughs> because too much. Yeah. Yeah. I literally I I'm like trying not to say anything that's gonna get me in trouble right now. <laughs> I was like, you know. It's so it's such a big deal because the fans are just the smartest fandom and they figure everything out. They, I don't know where they get all the information. They'll like zoom in on a picture and be like, oh, this is what's happening. And they have like the best theories and sometimes they like guess the storyline. So I just figure that I better like keep my mouth shut and not say anything. I hear you. And, you know, I, I hear that from everyone I interview. So don't don't feel alone in that. <laughs> it's kind of standard. Um, but I will ask you something that won't get you in trouble is how was it working with Courtney Cox? And, and then, you know, without having Dewey and Sydney there, it's like it's kind of a strange 
scenario, but tell me about working with, with Courtney as Gail Weathers. Uh, I mean, Courtney is the best. She's just the best yeah. and the funniest and like the most like down to earth person. And um, it's just so great to have her there because I feel like without Sydney and Dewey, Sam needs someone, you know, Sam needs someone that like knows the world. And, and I think what happens with, with Sam and Gail is a, like something very beautiful, like the kind of relationship that develops between them. And I'm in, and I love that because Courtney and I are so close in real life that it just felt like an extension of our friendship, making it onto the, to the movie. And She's so generous and and always like looking out for me and I I'm very grateful to her. And I'm very grateful that she came back. I'm excited to see that relationship evolve on screen. Um yeah, I love her. She's brilliant. Um one okay, I have to throw in this this question that Scott, the our social media manager, asked me, who goes, does, does Tara remember to carry her inhaler now? Because <laughs> this is what got her into trouble. That was a, that's a very good question. And Jenna would love that question because when <laughs> on set, it was. Um, I feel like Jenna and I, so, it's so funny because we are both very... Um, I think logical actors, like we're very like cerebral in the way that we approach acting. So everything has to make sense for us. And we always try to like justify everything to like avoid those kinds of questions from the audience later. So we're always trying to protect ourselves. So it was a conversation. I won't say anything about it. I feel like Jenna's, Jenna's territory, but, but yeah. It is funny. It's Another funny. Thing. <laughs> all right so um i'm also hoping that the stab franchise gets another another installment based on what happened in scream five because mm -hmm. that cracked me up it was, like, it was so funny um but and like just to wrap up the scream conversation here what do you think it is about the franchise that is so embedded in people's emotions is it because they grew up with it is it it's like a legacy piece like what is it i think it's a classic you know it's it's one of those movies that at the time that it first came on the scene 96 it was so ahead of its time and it was so different and it kind of expanded the the genre and like made it made a thing of its own like Wes Craven was so brilliant in that he created this thing unlike anything else and and it became like monumental in a lot of people's lives you know it was like it it marked a lot of people it it excited a lot of people it it became like a bonding kind of movie for a lot of like kids that was like their first scary movie that they went and saw and so people have grown up with it and I think what keeps it interesting is the whodunit aspect of it you know we we don't know who the killer is and each time it's different and like bringing new people in 
always, you know, keeps the audience on their toes. And I think it's, it's a, a very, um, what's the word? Like participative movie. Like it's, it involves the audience. They feel like they're a part of it. And so I think that's, that's what keeps people coming back. Yeah, well said. I think so. There's something about being scared as well with your friends that is it's the ultimate bonding. You're right. Yes, yeah. it's, it's really powerful. Um, now let's talk about Carmen. Huh. I'm so excited. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, what an iconic role. How did you feel going into it? I mean, I I know you'd done Vida when you met Benjamin Milpied. Um, Milpied. I can't pronounce it today. My mouth is like uh, not cooperating. Um, but when you met Benjamin, um, what was the conversation like? What did you understand his vision to be of Carmen? Um, it's I don't I honestly what I remember of our first conversation is just the feeling of not. First of all, the feeling of being very excited about it because I knew that it was going to be something very different. And it's, and I'm usually drawn to things that feel like out of the box in one way or another. And so I knew that this was going to be a very special project, very like experimental and different. And I was very excited about it and I really wanted it. But I also remember after that first conversation feeling like I wasn't going to get it. Like, I just felt, I just felt like it wasn't, we didn't vibe. And I, I, I sometimes have a big mouth. Like I'm very blunt and I'm very honest about my opinion on things. And so I felt like maybe I had, I had effed it up that the meeting. And it turns out that it was everything that I thought that I had done wrong was what Benjamin had liked about me. And what made him feel like I would be perfect for the role. Um, of course, he hadn't seen me dance yet. So that was the next step. And that was, you know, what made me a nervous wreck. But but it was, but I remember just feeling like it was going to be something really special. And and I, you know, I jumped on board in 2018. And we started like dancing. And, you know, I would just go down to his his studio like LADP in downtown LA on the weekends and rehearse with him and just like try things out. We were just kind of choreographing to choreograph without ever knowing, without even knowing if the movie was going to get made yet. Um, and, and that went on for, for months and then we kind of stopped and then we picked it back up and it wasn't until three years later that we actually shot the movie. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of time immersed in that role in your head, or at least building up to it. Yeah, it's a lot of time to hold on to something, you yeah. know, because a lot of people around me would continuously tell me to let it go because it wasn't going to happen. And there was a part of me that felt like it was going to happen eventually, and I needed to be a part of it. I was going to regret it if I wasn't. And I knew that I believed in Benjamin as a filmmaker because he's a brilliant choreographer. And I was like, someone that can make that on a stage is going to be able to make something incredibly moving and beautiful on the screen. Like, I just know it. Mm -hmm. 
So I didn't want to let it go. And I'm glad that I didn't. So am I. I I'm also curious about, um, you know, working alongside Paul Mescal, who everyone knows and loves originally from Normal People, his yeah. first screen role. Yeah. Such a sweetheart of a man. Um, in my experience, obviously, I know him in a very different way to to your experience working together. So tell me how it was. You know, he's playing a, I believe, a marine. Yes. Uh, yeah. Who has PTSD. Yes. He he's mm. incredible. Paul is Paul is the sweetest partner. He he was the perfect person to make this movie with, and I'm so excited. I think it took us that long to get the movie going because we needed to wait for him because normal people didn't come out until um tw- like i think spring of 2020 is when it came out right and so it was in late summer of 2020 that he jumped on board and mm-hmm. and i think you know everything is perfect everything happens for a reason and he was the perfect aiden to my carmen and mm-hmm. and i think we, we the universe was just waiting for him and I'm glad we did. It was such a great experience. He's so talented and so and so lovely and 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 he has such like depth and knowledge for someone so young. It was it was beautiful. I imagine you had a good time in Australia because of COVID you ended up shooting there instead of Mexico where the action takes place but um yeah, Australia had super strict COVID rules as well. So I imagine you were in kind of a bubble when you were there. Yeah, we were. Well, actually, no. It was strict. Australia had very strict rules, which is why they managed to avoid COVID for a really long time. And that's why we went over there. We um, we were we had to do a 14-day quarantine. When I when we got there, like you know, like the government mandated, the the like the military takes you to a hotel, they put you in a room, they don't give you the key, and they use <laughs> that's so <laughs> weird. Yeah, and they just knock on your door twice a day to like give you food, and wow. And when Paul and I were doing that quarantine at the same time, and we would just FaceTime and like try to like not go crazy, and that's how we met actually, like FaceTiming. And then once we were out, it was like, you know, the world was normal. No one was wearing masks. Everything was open. And uh, even on set, it was funny because, like, you know, we were we were trying to, like, abide by, you know, some safety rules with masks. But there really was no COVID over there. So it it was just kind of we were outdoors a lot. So it was very relaxed. And I think coming from like the stress of COVID on, on this side of the world and then going over there was super liberating. And, and it was great that we got to make the movie like that. Cause also I would try and dance with the mask on and it it's horrible. You can't breathe. Like, you know, you start breathing hard and then the mouth kind of like gets stuck to your mouth and nose and you can't, it was just awful. So it was, it was a blessing to be able to get over there and, and do that. Yeah, it sounds it sounds actually kind of magical. Like you were able to get away from COVID in a way. Yeah, and I got summer all year round. I'm like a hot weather person, so uh-huh. I avoided winter that year. And I was like, this is 
a boss move. Like this is what I should do <laughs> every year. I should just go chasing the summer. It was amazing. Yes, I love that. Um, just go to Bali and Australia every winter. Yes. <laughs> Basically. Um, now also the collaboration about the lives of the friendship between Andy Warhol and Jean-Michel Basquiat. I'm super excited about this. Um, obviously Warhol's played by Paul Bettany and Jeremy Pope plays Basquiat. Um, tell me about your character, Maya. What can we expect? Super excited. Um, my character, I mean, I fell in love with this script. I had been looking for something that felt like a play. Um, I watched this incredibly beautiful movie that did not get enough attention. It didn't get the attention that it deserved called Mass last year. Oh, I love that movie. Oh, I'm obsessed yes. with it. Obsessed with it. Like, oh my best, God. In my opinion, like best, one of the best movies of the year, best performances of the year, hands down. Didn't oh get my God. Yes. the the attention, oh. the acclaim that it deserved. But I, I saw it and I was like, I want to do something like that. I want to do something mm. that like feels like a play that's like all about digging in and mm. just being with the characters. And, um, and so then this, you know, the collaboration comes along, literally a play that they're turning into a movie. So I was like, oh my God, this is, you know, this is how the universe works. You ask for something and then it kind of finds its way to you, you know, in some way. And so I was like, this is a sign. Um, and my character, Maya, I play uh, Jean-Michel's girlfriend of the time. And it's like a really, I think my character is there to, to give color to, to Jean-Michel Basquiat's life a little bit, to show different sides of him and to show the struggle of, of an artist of that era, of a young artist of that era and his personal struggles with, with, with substance abuse and like how that affects the people in his life. And, uh, and I am so excited about it because Kwame, our director is brilliant. He directed, he directed the play in the West End and this is his first mm -hmm. movie. He's working with a theater director that likes to, you know, takes the time to like rip the scenes apart and like find the meat of it. And like, and I don't know, it's, it's a different experience. I feel like a lot of directors don't have time for that. And, and I understand it nowadays because there's, everything is about money and time is money. So you don't have time to rehearse. You don't have time to, unless, you know, you're one of the big directors that have all the money in the world to make their movies. But like most people just need to, to make their days. And so you don't have time to dig deep and to like really rehearse the scenes and like find stuff. And, and we're doing that and it's beautiful. It's like such a beautiful experience. I'm so excited about it. Jeremy and Paul are brilliant in this. And, um, and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful script. It's a, I don't know. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be something special. I'm so excited about that. I love that you reference mass because that, I remember saying when that came out, I was like, this is an acting masterclass, mm -hmm. truly. And yeah. Fran Kranz, it's like his first movie. 
um, yeah. and his script. And I mean, Martha Plimpton, Jason, I, I mean, my God, they're all everyone. And so Dowd, and Dowd was. Oh yeah. So good. Was my occasional acting teacher. She would come in. Really? Yeah, because I, I, wow. I was studying with her husband. And so she would sometimes come in and sub and like give us some classes. And I just, I think she's incredible. Such a loving, oh, wow. loving teacher and such a loving actor. And I just love seeing her. I love seeing her and I love seeing her shine. And I, and uh, she deserves everything. Yeah. No, she's brilliant. Oh, you lucky thing that you got, got to be taught by her. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, we have 20 questions. Um, that's mm-hmm. the theme of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, I did send them to you in case you wanted a sneak peek. I like to kind of give you the opportunity. Some people prefer not to even read them ahead of time. Yeah, I don't. You're, 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 you're one of those. Yeah. Okay, good. We're going to be spontaneous. Okay. I like that. So when did you first know you wanted to act? Um, I think. I mean, I, I remember like locking myself in my room when I was little and like putting up scenarios and playing with my dolls and my stuffed animals. But I don't know that I was aware that that was what I wanted to do. I think I became aware that that's what I wanted when I saw Into the Woods, the, my, my school's production of Into the Woods. And I had auditioned for it and I didn't get it. But I went and I saw it and I became obsessed with it. You know, like when you're, you know, you're like a sixth grader. I was like a sixth grader in my school in Mexico was like elementary school up to fifth grade in one campus and then sixth grade to 12th grade in the other campus. So I was like one of the babies in the school with like the older kids that at that age, they seem like they're adults, you know, like you see them and they're like, oh my God, the big kids. And so all of these like high school kids are playing these roles and I just became like a fan. I was like a fan. Like I remember it made me feel so many things and I was so impressed that like my peers could make me feel that. And I would see them in the hallways and like, you know, my heart would stop beating faster. Like, you know, like they were celebrities to me. They became celebrities to me. And And I was just like, oh my God, I want that. You know, that that they made me feel, I want to make people feel that. And I think that's when I consciously became aware that I wanted to pursue that, that I wanted to like become better. I wanted to like become a better singer and a better actor so that I could do that. Mm. Did you have an early childhood inspirational figure, like someone that really kind of made you believe in your vision of yourself or what you wanted to be? Um, I mean, if we're talking about someone that made me believe in myself, my mother has always been that person for me. My mother has always been very supportive of anything and everything that I want to do in life. And she's always been there to like, lift me up in my moments of sadness or self-doubt insecurity she's she's the you know the big believer she's she's always been 
my biggest cheerleader, like in those moments where I don't even believe that I can do something, she's there to like reassure me that I can and that the only limits that I have are the ones that I put on myself. You know, that's, mm. that's my mom for me. And if we are talking about like someone that I've watched and that I admired and that I wanted to follow in their footsteps, I grew up watching telenovelas, soap operas in Mexico. Mm. And I would watch Thalia. Thalia was like our biggest soap star. And she was an, a very successful actor and also a very successful pop star. And I was like, she has it all. She can do it all. She has time to do it all. She has the talent to do it all. I want to be able to do it all. And this was, you know, when I wanted to be a pop star. Because <laughs> I originally, when I was younger, I wanted to be a pop star. And so watching her was a big inspiration for me. Mm. Oh, I love that. Um, what about, this might be the same answer then. What about the posters you had on your wall as a kid and a teenager? Oh, posters. I mean... I was never a putting posters up kind of girl. I would save them, but I would never put them up on my walls. Mm. I feel like I had Harry Potter posters on my walls. I was obsessed with Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Very much obsessed with Harry Potter and Daniel Radcliffe. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Have you met I, him? I've never met him. I've only heard the best things about him as yes. both professional and a human. And that makes me so happy, you know? It's amazing when you like, when you're like coming up in the industry like I am and you start to like meet people that you've watched before and you admire and they end up and like you find that they're actually good people because that's not always the case. It's so, it's it, it's almost like validating that your love and your like championing of them and your like fan, being a fan of them is justified when they're good people. So I love, hearing that Daniel is amazing and I would and I think he's also an amazing actor and uh I would love to meet that guy one day if you're listening <laughs> I will make sure I put that in the article to go with this <laughs> um what about the first movie you ever saw in the theater oh my gosh I mean back when movies had intermissions oh uh, I remember that it was like the movie would stop halfway and you had time to go to the bathroom to go get popcorn or candy. And all the, all the children in the movie would like go down to where the screen is and would like climb on the screen and like do all sorts of <laughs> the movie theater that I grew up going to uh, in Monterrey. But I think... In where? Where did you say? In Monterrey, where? Mexico. Yeah. 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 Mm. El Valle Cinemas, it was called. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even exist anymore. I need to get out. Um, but, uh, I think, I mean, I, I think I remember watching, and this was obviously not the first movie that I watched, but I, but this is the first memory that I have of, of watching a movie in theater, like a vivid memory is Parent Trap. Oh yeah. Yeah. With Lindsay Lohan. With Lindsay Lohan. And actually yeah. it's such a good movie. It's so good. And she's so good in it. She fully plays two characters this entire movie and she's like 11 years old it's just brilliant it's mind-blowing what she did I was just 
I turned on the TV in, in my hotel room in Boston and it was on and I just left it because I love it. I used to be obsessed with it. Like the handshake, remember the handshake that she does with her butlers? Oh yeah, yeah, yes. And okay. I, I remember like I was, I, I learned it and I would do it with my friend. Like it was like an obsession. Um, but yeah, but I remember going to see that in the theaters and thinking that they were twins. Like I genuinely thought that it was twin actresses playing this. And I remember when I found out they weren't, my mind was just, it exploded. Lindsay Lohan, massively underrated talent. Oh, it's, I, but I, that's kind of a shame. I, but I, I remember, I don't know, like I'm, I was a huge fan of hers. Like I watched everything that she did and she did a lot, you know, like she worked you know, with, yes. with incredible people. Like she, I think she worked, you know, with like Georgia Rule with, yeah, did that movie Georgia Rule. Yes. So good. So good. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I'm excited for her rom-com, um, by the way. Shout out. Yes, shout out for Lindsay Lohan's yeah. rom-com. Yeah. Yes. Um, what about a TV or film character you wanted to be? And you might have answered this when you were talking about Talia earlier. Yeah. I don't know. Tell me Tell me if that's the case. No, not really. I think uh, a TV or movie character that I wanted to be uh, probably like Lara Croft. Or, oh, good you know, choice. like Indiana Jones, like something like that was always very appealing to me. I love like action adventure and, you know, science fiction kind of stuff. That's what I, and I recently realized that because I watch everything. I, I love all kinds of movies, but I, but I thinking back on like my, my formative, like early teenage years, what I was watching mostly was that you know I was watching Van Helsing and I was watching um uh what was that movie with um with um Sean Connery and and uh and like a submarine oh we'll figure out you put it in the article (laughs) I'll put it in the article but uh but I remember like that those were those were like the kinds of movies that I that I would go back to there was something about like otherworldliness that I that I'm drawn to you know creatures monsters um vampires all that what about interview with the vampire that's that's up there my favorite yes so good always so good um and I also was obsessed with all the Indiana Jones movies and you know I love it when I hear women talk about their childhood imagining of wanting to be a classic sort of male action hero. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, the other day I had a guest on Marsha Gay Harden Uh and she wanted to be Clint Eastwood Mm. growing up. Yeah. And I love that. And it's the equivalent of say you wanting to be, you know, Harrison Ford starring in Indiana Jones in that character. Yeah. And it's so great when young women can see themselves that way. Yeah. Um, I think it's really, it's really cool. Um, so what about uh, the weirdest job you've ever had? <laughs> the weirdest job I've ever had. I mean, I, I've, I've been lucky that, most of my jobs 
have been, you know, acting or singing related. But I did have, you know, part of my contract in when I was like in when I had an exclusivity contract in Mexico, they would like hire me sometimes to go sing or just be at like dinners with executives and their friends. And that was weird, you know, like having like, I mean, I guess, you know, musicians do that all the time. They're like, if they're paid like the right amount of money, they'll go and sing at like a quinceañera or they'll go and sing at a birthday party. Like that's the thing that happens. But for me, it felt weird. I always felt weird of like going to entertain at like some rich person's party. That felt, yeah. it always felt very weird. So that was, those were weird jobs. Yeah, that is a strange, it's also like, you know, when, I mean, I remember this used to happen much more than it probably does now, but people who were in the public eye used to be paid, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars just to go sit at a table at mm-hmm. a club in Vegas. Yeah. One night. Yeah. Just make an, a quote-unquote appearance. Yes. They not still do not that, even don't singing. They? Yeah. They do, but it used to be, it used to be, I think, a much more prevalent thing because you couldn't, back in the day, you couldn't look people up on where they were on their Instagram, for example. Yeah. Um, and you couldn't, um, you couldn't go, okay, I'm going to see into someone's life. So there would be like all this money at stake just to see a person yeah. or, or know where they were for the night. Yeah. It was such a weird thing. Not that that's what you're talking about because you're there to perform, but yeah. I, you know, it's a, such a strange thing being sort of there just to be seen. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's perform. strange for me and you, and it might not be strange for, for people mm. that do that. And, you know, it was just for me, it always, it, it never felt artistic. It felt kind of like I'm, I'm, it's part of my contract. So I have to go do this and I have to kind of go and like talk to these people and pretend to be interested in their lives. And I'm really not, you know, and (laughs) that's like, like, I'm glad that I'm an actor and that I can, you know, pretend, but but it was just always a weird feeling for me. That was never, it was never part, like any of the good parts of like what I do, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's about the fame and not the talent and not the craft. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, so what about the last time you cried? I, I cried just this morning. I cry every day. I'm, I'm, I cry very easily. I feel like I'm, I've learned that in the last 
maybe five or six years, I've gotten more um, used to like letting myself open. I used to be a very guarded person and I don't want to say cold, but I could seem cold to a lot of people. And then I, I realized that that's not the best way to live your life. It's a very like, um, protective way to live your life, but it's not the best. And so I've, I kind of like, because also what I do, you kind of have to be open and vulnerable. And now I've, I've, I've found that I'm open and vulnerable all the time, which is sometimes annoying, but I just cry a lot. And I'm like, I think this morning I was seeing a video of like an, an account that I follow on good news movement and like, Oh, I follow that. I love it. And those like, yeah. and the kindness influencers that go around like, gifting people money that really need it and like I just cry every time that I watch one of those videos I cry there was one the other day about a supermarket employee um retiring after 30 years and the local community raised some twenty-seven thousand dollars. I saw it for that person. yes it's beautiful yeah yeah um okay so you're packing your nuclear bunker what do you take to watch and we're going to assume that streaming is still okay during this time. <laughs> so, wait, we're going to assume that streaming is still okay? Yeah, the rules the rules to this nuclear bunker are very um, unique because if we take away streaming, then you have to try and like figure out what you have on like DVD, yeah. which is very limiting. I mean, I used to collect DVDs, so I have a lot. You did? Yeah, I do. Um, I oh, also, you still do. I also st- I also have like you know um sag send screeners so i have them all i don't even own a dvd player anymore and i have but i still i have them all here i'm looking at them um (laughs) i feel like i mean if it's streaming then i would just like take my apple tv and i would have everything you know like i you know that's i feel like it's a more interesting question when you have to like pick uh well, I'm going to make you pick one thing, one, one show one or a film, one show or a film, one show or a film to watch over and over and over and never get tired of. Yes. Friends. No, joke. that's what I would pick. Yeah. Like literally. It no just question. never gets old. Yeah, literally. It I, never can gets watch old. It. I can watch it on repeat. I can watch the same episode three times in a row. And <laughs> can you quote the whole thing? Do you feel like you know it all? I feel like I, I used to know more, like I used to be able to quote more because I would watch it often and but I still remember a lot of like the iconic moments and iconic lines 100% so good so so good um okay what's the toughest scene you've ever had to play oh the toughest scene I've ever had to play um I I think there's there's one that I remember being like the first time that I was very intimidated by it and it was a and it was a soap like I was doing a soap and I had to I had been like kidnapped in the soap and I and the scene was me waking up after having been abused and noticing what had happened and like having a breakdown and like 
just that basically. And I was, I was 23 at the time and I had never done anything like that before. And I was, and I remember being very nervous about it, but it also, I had a a really kind director. um, And, and it was, you know, just me in the scene by myself in a room and, and soaps, you usually just do one take, you know, like there's right. It's quick. No time. Yeah. Like try it again, unless something like really goes wrong, like a light goes off or like, you know, someone messes up the camera movement, but like, really it's just like one take and you're done because you're shooting three cameras. And so I feel like I feel like soap actors are underrated for that reason. Yeah. They, it's literally like shooting a play. Yeah. It's like this is it. <laughs> this is it. I learned so much from doing soap, honestly, and I'm so I, I'm still so grateful to this day of, that that was my first experience on TV. That I that was like the boot camp of acting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did that scene, and I remember like the director coming to me and like just being like. I could see in his face that he was like so impressed by what I had done. And I, and, and my assistant at the time was in the monitor and she was like crying. And I was like, and I feel like I, I kind of came into my power that day as an actor, you know, like I realized that the things that I was afraid of were super powerful and that I had the ability to like make people feel um, very powerful emotions and so I remember that day like it was yesterday that was in yeah I don't know that was in 2013 yeah um what about the advice you would give your younger self oh my gosh um I mean you're still obviously young so younger yeah much younger self I guess um I, I always have, I mean, I always, I've been asked this question before and and what I always say is, I just say, I would just give her words of encouragement and to like, trust, trust your instinct and trust your gut. Cause uh, I think in the moments where I had the most difficult times in my career were where I started doubting my, myself and where I started doubting my, my instincts. But I also feel like it's like the butterfly effect. Like I wouldn't want to go back and say anything to myself that would change my path as it's been. Because I feel like everything that I've done, mistakes and all, have taught me lessons and have, you know, even those moments of doubt have helped me come back stronger afterwards or like I've learned something from each maybe like not so great experience that I've had. I've learned more about myself, what I, what I want, the kind of people that I like to work with, the kind of people that I don't like to work with, like all of that has helped. So I wouldn't want to alter anything about how my life has been. Um, so that's great. No regrets. No. Cause no. it feels like you're quite a kind of spiritual person. Like you just based on what you've said, like that you really uh, sort of trust trust the process um, and believe that you're supported and that everything is going to just be as it should be. Yeah. I mean, I've had, I've been blessed that I've been able to see that, you know, 
sometimes in the moment when something doesn't work out in the way that I want it to, everything comes into question. You know, like I start doubting everything that I've ever done. And I'm like, am I ever, am I ever going to work again? Am I ever going to do, am I ever going to reach the, the kind of career that I want to have? Am I even good enough? You know, like all of these things like kind of like start going in your brain and all, all of these like negative thoughts. And, uh, and I, I call them vampires because of this musical called title of show that has a song about like vampires in your brain. See, I'm like a musical theater nerd, but, um, <laughs> but I, but I feel like everything eventually works out and, and, and you don't see it in the moment, but like later on, whether it's weeks, months, years, you understand why that had to happen. So there hasn't been one single disappointment in my life that I haven't later understood as yeah. perfect that led yeah. me to something, a greater satisfaction. So I think that's it's easier said than done because every time that I go through like a, a, like a low moment or something that feels like a defeat or not being able to something not playing out the way that I wanted, I go back into that dark space. But then I have to remind myself that eventually I'll understand. Hmm. I think, yeah, that's how you keep hope in your life. Just yeah. that trust. Yeah. 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 I like that. Um, what job would you be doing if this hadn't worked out? Ooh, good question. I mean, there was a, there was a point in my life where I wanted to study criminology because I was obsessed with ESI. I had all the yeah. DVDs. I feel like if if your question had been if your question had been what DVDs would you take, it'd probably be CSI. All the CSIs. Um, you can bring your DVDs. I, I would well. totally. <laughs> I would. Um, but I did. I did. I I was very attracted to the idea of like criminology. Um, I also really loved architecture as a, you know, I love spaces and design and, and, and all of that. So I felt like I would have made a good architect if I wanted to, um, that could have been a plan B or C. But I, cool. I like that. Yeah. But I never wanted to like give myself a plan B because there was a point where my mom was like, yeah, you, you want to study acting, but like, what else, you know? Right. Because in her experience and in, and in my experience, like anyone, no one from my hometown had ever done that, you know, had ever like gone on to Broadway or to Hollywood or whatever. No one close to me, no one even remotely in my surroundings. So I was like, I get why you're nervous and she wanted me to like have something to fall back on. But I think I told her, I was like, if I have a plan B, if I have a safety net, I'm going to feel so comfortable with just falling back on it. And I don't want that mm. comfort. Like, I don't want to feel that safety net because I need that hunger. That's going to drive me towards my actual dream. So 
I, yeah. So I think I just decided that I was going to be an actor and I was like, that's it. No going back. And look where you are. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay. What is your greatest fear, either personally or professionally? Um, I think my greatest fear is not not being good enough for the kinds of things that I dream of achieving, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I think there's this, I've always had this fear of what if I'm being delusional <laughs> with like the kinds of like, my dreams are so big and what if, what if I'm not talented enough to achieve them, you know? And, and, and that's where this, those moments of like self-doubt come in because I feel like the, actually the people that dare to dream bigger are the ones that achieve those big dreams. Like you're, you're going to achieve the things that you set out to do. If you, if you like limit yourself in what you think you're capable of, that's it. That's your ceiling. You're going to like, you're going to limit yourself. And so I've always kind of like dreamed the biggest dreams for myself, but it's like a long journey. So sometimes the thing that you're not supposed to do, that everyone tells you that you're not supposed to do, comparing yourself to other people that kind of creeps in it's inevitable right it's inevitable because yeah. you're here you know it's you're you're immersed in this industry um you want to learn you want to watch and that watching and learning you know you you start noticing things and you know people that are your age or people that like started the same year that you did you know all of these things that that creep in so i think those are the fears that I, that I try to suppress. And I try to like, I try to, it's like a balloon. I feel like it's a balloon that kind of like gets blown up and you're blowing it yourself and it's, you're in a room and you're blowing up this balloon and the balloon is, is cramping you in the space. And you're not, you're not able to even move or breathe anymore because the balloon is so big, but all you have to do is pop it. Mm. It's your, it, you have the power to do that. So that's what I constantly remind myself when those, when, when those like negative thoughts creep in and those doubts, I like have to remind myself that it's, that it's me. I have the power of those, those negative thoughts and I have the power to like crush them with positive thoughts and to like return to, return to an all powerful time in my life. I think when we're younger, we're more powerful. Cause we don't, we don't, we haven't been like crushed by, you know, any limitations and everything is possible. And so I tried to like go back to that time when I was like super confident, yeah. when I knew what I could achieve, when I knew my value, when I knew my talent. That's so true. You, know? you have to try and channel that innocence and, and mm -hmm. not, not let fear creep in cause it kills yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, last one. 
Your all-time dream role. All-time dream role. I don't I don't know that I have one. Hmm. I I feel like there's I have I go through stages in my life where you know, when I got in the heights, Vanessa was like my dream role, you know, and it had been for a while. And then when I got Keep Breathing, I was like, oh my God, this is the dream. This is what exactly the That was a crazy role. You know, I've been wanting some of the stuff you had to do. Like that's, that's your Indiana Jones right there. It's like some of that stuff was crazy. Yeah. It was was preparing me, you know, it was like all these things that I've been wanting to do, like really dig deep with a character, but also have like a lot of physical stuff to do. Like it was just such a beautiful um, ex- like opportunity for me and for any actor, I think, and I and I feel very grateful that I got to do that. But that was a dream role for me. So I think I discover new dream roles as I go along, and I and as I grow and I and I and I change and I and I evolve into a different person because it's a constant thing. My dream roles become different things and different stages mm-hmm. in my life. That's great because it means you'll always have satisfaction. Yeah. You're not constantly chasing like something unattainable. You can feel happy in the moment. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it is. It is. It's important to remember to like celebrate and like be present because it's so easy, I think, in this industry to not to be like constantly chasing and constantly in and I'm guilty of that sometimes too, of like I'm I'm chasing this thing. You know, I'm chasing this project, this role, and as soon as I get it, I'm I'm like, what? What's my next chase? Because mm. it's be addictive to be on the chase, and you forget. A lot of people live like that. Yeah, you forget to like actually celebrate. Like, oh my god, I did it! This thing that I've been wanting and fought for, I got it. Let me be here for this moment, and that's yeah. that's something that I constantly work on to like be present. That's like some, you know, Deepak Chopra level, you know, Eckhart Tolle, all of those people that teach you, you know, life is happening now. It's not yesterday or tomorrow. It's right now. It's hard. You know, when I understood, I I understood depression and anxiety actually not too long ago. Because I always would hear about, you know, depression and anxiety. And in Mexico, growing up, there wasn't a lot of education about mental health. And I also didn't hear about it much. I don't know if it's because people, it's just taboo and people didn't talk about it. Or if it's just, I grew up in like a simpler time where like we were busy being kids and we weren't, you know, a lot of us weren't dealing with that. I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I ever dealt with depression and anxiety until well into like my adult life that I started you know feeling more of those like things bubbling up inside of me but when I understood that depression is sadness about the past and anxiety is sadness about the future I was like it blew my mind I was like wow that's so true and, and the only way to, like, avoid that is to be fully present. 
If you're busy living in the present, you can't be thinking about the past and, you can't, and you're not like worried about the future. You're just like here. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's possible to achieve. I think some like maybe some monks somewhere in the world <laughs> and they right. levitate. But, <laughs> but I think we should at least strive to do that as much as we can. Do you think that you relate to people that struggle with either of those things? I, I think most creative people experience those things yeah. here and there at the very least. 100%. So. Um, mostly, mostly anxiety, I think. I'm always like three steps ahead. Like my, my, yeah. my body's here and my brain is somewhere over there. And so that is something that I like, like, I only have power over things that are happening now. Yeah. So I need to concentrate on that. Things that are, you know, in the future, I'm like, why am I worried about that? It hasn't even happened yet. Why? And I just question myself about it. It's easier said than done, obviously. I think a lot of people can relate, but. it's hard. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great message that I, yeah, I think everyone needs to to tell themselves a lot of meditation that's another hard thing to do yeah <laughs> but I know I've run out of time I could talk to you for ages it's been such a pleasure I just want to thank you for being on the podcast today and thank for you. answering all my millions of questions <laughs> well technically 20 but I always sneak lots extra in so thank you so thank much you so thank much. you thank you again Melissa Barrera for being on the podcast today Don't forget to check out the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and read our awards line magazine in print and at deadline.com.